right, you bunch of yahoos. Strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. And welcome back to another episode of Toxic Masculinity. We are here to entertain you, offend you, defend you in any way that we see fit possible. We're here to make you scratch your head, scrap your ass, hopefully not at the same time. We're here to tell the truth, uh, but we won't let a few facts get in the way of a good story. We believe in America and Americans. We believe in freedom of speech and we will rub it in your face or in, in, in the cow pie of reality. So without further ado, I shall introduce my cohort at crime, Don the Predator of Fry and myself, Dan the Beast Severn. And Don, would you like to do the honors of our special guest there this evening from the world of professional wrestling? Yeah, this is the great Chavo Guerrero Jr. Sorry, Chavo Guerrero Jr. We met um, back in Japan, '97, huh? When I started working for New Japan, you were well, the first time I met you was in WCW, and we were uh, at uh, you had come down to the MGM Grand, and yeah. we were wrestling in Las Vegas. And you came down there, and uh, it's funny because, you know, you're, you you look like a like a big fireman. You know, you were a fireman at the time, right? With the big mustache, you're sitting there, and I go, man, this guy's cool. He's awesome. And they're like, uh, that's Don Fry, because you're just in in UFC, started the UFC, a very young UFC guy. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, great. And then I saw one of your fights, and I was like, holy shit, because you were very just a nice guy. Like, hey man, you did great out there. You're just a good dude. And then I saw you just murder somebody, and I was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. like Mister Mister Severn, but Mister Severn never had a fight; he just competed. It was just competition. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, the, the Don's actually on medication at this time, there, Chavo. Uh, that's why he's so so calm and demeanored here, guys. It's uh, he, he goes off of his meds prior to to the competition times. Give me some of those. Give me some of those. I need to. I need to calm down. <laughs> Chavo, I, I got it. Okay, why professional wrestling? I mean, you, there's just a lot of different things that you could do. Why? Again, I always, I'm always intrigued as to what draws people to that sport, that uh, that line of work. So, what, what, why the the wacky world of professional wrestling? So, me, I was a third generation pro wrestler. Man, my grandfather was a wrestler. My father was a wrestler. Uncles were wrestlers. My grandmother met my father because she went to the matches in Mexico to see her pro, her brother who was a pro wrestler. And that's how they met. So for me, wrestling has fed my fam. Pro wrestling has fed my family for over 85 years. That's the only way we've made our money for 85 years, for three generations. So 85 years, 85 years. Yeah. My grandfather started in 1917, I believe. Uh, yeah. So we, <sighs> It's not that I had a, ch a choice. We, I grew up with a wrestling ring in my backyard. Legitimately, I had no swing set. We had a wrestling ring in the backyard. So Eddie and I were, we, we would, it was our tent. We would camp out underneath it. It was our playground. We would, uh, you know, we, we learned to walk in a wrestling ring. So that that's the truth. How much older was Eddie than you? Three years. Eddie was three years older than me. So really, he is my dad's youngest brother. So he was 18 when my dad was born. When my dad was 18 when he was born. Then three years later, my dad had me. So he's actually my uncle, but we grew up as brothers. But I always tell the story that he was my grandfather's late mistake and I was my dad's early mistake. So both of us were not supposed to be here. Wow. It's true. Well, I'm glad you all guys were. Because, man, I'll tell you, both guys are a riot to hang out with. It's been a good time in this business, I'll tell you that. Getting to learn, meeting so many different people from all different uh, worlds of of combat, and we just all click and all gel, and it was uh, it's uh, it's been a great ride. Well, I mean, the, the reality is you have to go out there and perform. I mean, it's uh, whether it's in the uh, you know combat or aspect or for professional wrestling, performing is still performing. You have to get yourself up because if you're if you're not into that match, you're gonna have a lousy performance. You know, and it's uh, I always tell people I've been hurt far worse in my professional wrestling career than I have been in, in my cage fighting career. And you, you think that would be the total opposite of each other. But sometimes guys, they don't continue to hone their skills. And if they don't continue to hone their skills, they start to digress. And uh, eventually you have another man that you have to protect 
while you're out there doing these matches. And that that's what people don't understand. You know, I use both of your examples actually a lot because I've heard a podcast with both of you and the respect that you have for pro wrestling and that your injuries, I mean, we're always injured, but a lot of most of your big injuries were from professional wrestling yes. and age. And it's really hard for a, a layman person to really understand that. And I said, and explained the repetition of wrestling, pro wrestling, how we're constantly banging our bodies and pounding and pounding and pounding. Yes. And not that, not to take away anything from being in the cage, because being in the cages, <laughs> that'll ring, that'll get you too. But you know, you guys, like you said, you guys from your podcast, you come in and you fight, would fight once every six months and wrestling, we were wrestling every night. Yes, that's what people understand is that repetition. But even when you're practicing, again, the repetition of, you know, uh, you know, in the industry, they refer to it as bumping. Well, even a lot of professional wrestlers don't realize that in actually in true bumping, they're doing martial arts break falling. They want right. to hit the ground and they want to hit uh, with as much body mass so they can dissipate that impact. So a lot of professional wrestlers, you know, they they look at bumping, you know, not really in the way that they should be uh, looking at it as. But it does take a toll to be constantly just bump, bump, bump. And, and it's it's a kind of a vicious cycle that you see where a lot of wrestlers start getting out to the cycle of, I need a, I need something to take care of the pain. I need something to get me up going. Because as you said, it is such a... It's such a busy schedule. You, you're, you're not like MMA, just like you said, you might do one match once every six months. You have preparation like that up to it. But the, the fact that you really go out there and perform just really one night and uh, and professional saying, you know, I, I know at the time that I was working with uh, Vince McMahon, WWF uh, at the time, you know, the average guy was working 180, I think 187 dates or something like that. And I, I can't imagine. That's right. so, that's light for us. We used to work two two eighty. We were on everything. I used to work two eighty. There was one year that I spent sixty five days at home, and that I was in a hotel room three hundred days that year. And wow. and um and that was that was one of my biggest years. But we just I just was never home, you know. So uh, you think about it. Not only am I wrestling every single night or almost every night, all different around the country, having to stay in the gym, keep my body going, uh, eat, trying to eat on the road, uh, partying with Ric Flair at night, you know. <laughs> that, that'll get you in trouble right there now. <laughs> I don't know how I'm alive. I really don't know how I'm alive after doing that for so long, you know. Yeah, the travel. Travel eats you up, you know. Uh, oh, my God. I remember one time I worked, we, we did a three-week tour, you know, worked 18 days in three weeks. And um, that was that was, that, that was tough because of Japanese wrestling, you know, it was stiff. My favorite style, my favorite style, but you just can't, you just can't do it so much, you know. I mean, I remember one, one tour of Europe that we had, and it was uh, in 21 days. We wrestled 20 days, and we were uh, 20 days, 20 different cities, eight different countries. Boom, 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 boom. Just go. Right. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that because you there, there are times when you wake up in the morning and as you're trying to rub the sleep out of your eyes and you look around, you know, you're in another hotel, but you have to look over at your planner. See, I, I actually live on a planner mm -hmm. and, I, and you have to look at your planner and realize, okay, where am I at? And who am I wrestling tonight? You know, that's uh, a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. What, what what city do you insult that night? You know, <laughs> no, I wouldn't even know, to be honest, like my wife, she did my friends. Their friends would ask her, hey, where's where's Chavo? She's like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? You don't know. She, he's in a different city every night. We don't know. And I remember when 9-11 hit, uh, my dad called me. I was in Houston at the time. I woke up and he goes, hey, and I, I didn't even know what's going on. You know, I got a call from my dad and he's like, where where are you? I'm like. I don't know. I'm not sure. And he's like, are you in New York? And I said, no, I'm not in New York. I'm in Houston. And he goes, turn the TV on. And I turn the TV on. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? And he's, you know, he was just cheating. I didn't know. My wife didn't know where I was at. She was crazy. She's freaking out. Yeah. Now that's well, but, but the, the, the professional lifestyle is also really hard on a family's life there too, mm. just because you are an absentee parent, you're an absentee spouse. So, I mean, it's uh and people don't understand that, you know. I think when my, my youngest daughter was born, I worked 
25 weeks out of that that year you know know, in japan so you know you you get a whole day travel and a whole day back you know there and back and then when you come home that time change you're you're there but you're not there right yeah yeah you know you're trying to sleep you're trying to stay awake you're you're just your time zones off you're grumpy you know (laughs) your wife's want like come on let's go let's go do that and you're just like i just I just I'm, got home. I don't want to go. Like a zombie. I was just walking around like a zombie for just for about twenty years. Yeah, yeah that that the, the biggest thing is like when you finally do get home, you know the, the significant other that or you know they want to go and, and see you do and and the novelty for you is you're finally sitting home. You just want to actually this this is new to you because you look around it's like I'm home. <laughs> I want to I want to stay home. That's the novelty. This is what I'm paying for. Oh, okay, great, right? <laughs> you know, my wife and I would would compromise. The night, the day I flew in, I wouldn't do anything. We'd stay home. I'd try to recharge a little bit. The next night, we'd kind of go out to dinner because she'd been home for five days. Yeah, you know, she'd been sitting on the couch watching two little kids. So I had to take her out and just okay, let's go, let's 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 go. You know, and I'd meet in a restaurant all the time. I want to stay home and eat home cooked food. So as long as we compromise, it it worked out. For the most part, I liked eating out because my wife was a horrible cook. So. <laughs> I don't blame. I don't blame you. <laughs> but I mean, what what age did you just jump into it? I mean, I I know you said that the legacy was there. You, you to have three generations of of uh, your father, and your grandfather, all being involved in uh, the sport of uh, professional wrestling. What start? What age did you really start to jump into it at? You know, we'd done it because my grandfather had a promotion, so we were always around it. You know, his promotion was the first promotion that was dual country. So it was in uh, El Paso, Texas. So we would, they would wrestle in El Paso and then go across the border to Juarez and surrounding cities and wrestle there as well. Um, so I, we were just always around it. But when I decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this full time, uh, I was uh, – my debut was at 23. I think I really started tra- – tra- training at 22 my debut was at 23 but i full-time was 25 was wcw full-time and uh when i was 18 my dad we were at the cauliflower alley club and we're talking to billy robinson and my me and my billy and my dad were good friends and he's like um talking to my dad chavo senior chavo you know hey we'll take we'll take the kid over to japan and we have a new organization called uwf and it's a work shoot uh, you know, we'll get him started in that. And my, my, we're thinking about it like, okay, great. And then my dad decided against it. It just, I was too young. I was 18. They would have killed me. And then I remember seeing UWF and I'm like, this is a work shoot. <laughs> oh my God. Thank God I didn't go. Yeah, it, it was, it was pretty stiff stuff. I mean, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Billy Robinson when I was in Japan as well, working for the UWFI organization. UWFI, uh, Fuji yes, Ohara yeah. and them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it was uh you know that was a uh, well again it, it was probably more up uh, Don Don and I's elevated because it was just an extension, you know to it, it sure it was a stiff work but uh, it wasn't stir- as stiff as a shoot so right right <laughs> to right. me it was still it was a, a lot finer day to go but you know as you said you mentioned earlier I always want people to understand I had a lot of amateur wrestling friends and when I I simply knew that I'd had this amateur wrestling career since you know, 1969, you know, and uh, doing doing all the amateur wrestling. And then when I finally just get ready to cross, cross into the professional realm, I simply knew I was going to be taking, I was going to take some shit yeah. from some of my friends. They're like, oh, dude, what are you doing? I go, I go, don't worry about me. I said, I, I go, I will always conduct myself in a proper type of manner and that. And uh, so I, I wish I would have understood the industry a little bit more, especially when I, I got signed down with uh, Vince McMahon because I didn't realize how much input. I, I thought that they had this great knowledge of this creative team and stuff like this, and they would ha- know how to guide you, but that's not the case really whatsoever. Really, you blind- a lot of input on that, you know, and really your character, you know, you just got to keep pitching ideas, keep pitching ideas. And we, as wrestlers, I was always like, well, why do I have pitch ideas? You guys are writing this stuff. I mean, you're not wrestling for me. Why are you so what's going on? But you kind of had to do it all. And people don't really realize that, you know, I love the fact that both of you and I've told this, this story to people because you, you two are one of, you know, not only friends of mine, but uh, people that I definitely look up to being 
tough guys in the industry, men of men, I always call it. But, uh, you know, I, sometimes I'll show some of your fights and to some friends and go, these are the guys I hang out with. And I'm, they're like, oh, my God, just like crazy. The the the, the fight of Don in, in Japan against um, Takayama. Oh, oh, my yeah, God. Takayama, yeah, that, yeah. Takayama, wow. I mean, what is one of the best fights of all time? You know, and, and what's cool, I said, these both guys were watching UFC and going, well, I can beat that guy. I just decided to do it. And people are like, what? <laughs> that's how tough those guys are <laughs> i know both of you i have to both of you guys like well i could beat him i'm gonna go <laughs> and then you find yourself yeah. outside looking in you know <laughs> right yeah, yeah right? you, gotta, you gotta lose get me okay with losing the people you know you could wrap into a knot you know in, in right. 10 seconds. Uh, right right the fight you know because i'm so many just i was you know growing up Young, I wasn't a wrestler yet, and when the UFC just started, you know, and it was, you know, wrestling versus kickboxing, karate versus, you know, jujitsu, and to see you guys go in there, and that was the wrestlers, and I was like, yeah, the wrestlers are kicking everybody's asses. I love that. <laughs> well, even in, even in one of the most recent interviews, uh, uh, basically, you had two two wrestlers for the semi-main event and the main event. Uh, John Jones came back uh, out of... Uh, his uh, sabbatical retirement is that is that a proper way of putting it to Don? Or was that more known as a, ti a timeout? Uh, yeah, he was released. <laughs> he decided to stop his partying a little bit and come back and give people up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He some money for some for some candy. Yeah. Well, it, it just but but you, you had two two wrestlers in a semi main event and a main event in both matches. I don't think the combined time was. Less than three, four minutes for for both matches, and they were just uh, takedowns, uh, chokes, and uh, and people like going, "Where's the slobber knocker? Where's this? That? Where's that?" And and a lot of people understand a striker gets one chance, yeah, to yeah. to make that 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 punch, that kick, that knee, that elbow. But if they miss that opportunity, and that wrestler clinches them or jams them up against the cage or, or takes them down, you know that wrestler has neutralized ninety plus percent of that striker's ability. And the the grappler is just commencing because they got you right where they want you now on tight quarters. I remember Mark Kerr saying that we were uh, kind of doing some, they came in to do some training, but we did some pro wrestling training. It was Mark Kerr, Mark Coleman, uh, a couple other guys. And uh, Kerr was always like, hey, I'll, I'll eat I'll eat a punch to get to, to take you down. I'll eat one. If you don't knock me out, I'm going mine, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even want to eat that one. I'll <laughs> I tried to avoid it. I was I was a lot older than what a lot of these guys were when they started. I kept thinking, um, I, I'm only gonna be this for a little bit. I want to kind of keep the money maker somewhat intact. They didn't want to have me have that hideous uh, hideous look uh, later in life to go. To, you know what, what movies will I be going out for at that point in time? You know monster films. So well, I yeah. think you you may have been a little smarter than than most. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't bother uh, me five or six you know? <laughs> I, yeah well yeah don didn't <laughs> I, I was kind of perverted perverted in that sense you know don just like just hit me i'm not moving my head you got ken uh trying to get you to tap out to an ankle lock and you just break yeah. my ankle i don't care <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah, what? yeah it broke them both right both both yeah oh my god but just hairline fractures, so you know. Oh, just hairline fractures. That's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Still able to waddle on them. <laughs> love it, love it, love who's it. Your, who's your? What was your favorite place to work? You know, I love Japan. Japan's one of my favorite, just because you know I like that crowd. The crowd is you could be ten thousand strong, and they're quiet. They're so educated. They're watching the matches. Once you learn, you figure it out, you learn how to get them going. You can learn how to, what, what makes them tick and how to get them off their seats. And they're so animated. They're like, like, Ooh. Quiet. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's like, yeah. it's awesome. But, but, you get them, like you said, yeah. It's cool when you have, when you see like 10,000 and they're like, they're quiet. Cause just right. like I said, they're, they're studying and they're watching a match, but then all of a sudden in unison, they're all, they all go, Oh, yeah. it's like going, whoa, we got we, we got to rise out of about and you wonder what was it? That's right, that's right. I loved it. One time when I was a kid, you know, my dad was many tours of Japan, probably 35 tours, and he was uh, you know, back then, you know, early 80s or late 70s, early 80s, really very, very little American things over there. So he I remember one time he was gone 
a six-week tour, came home for a week and went for a nine-week tour. So just was there constantly. And um, uh, the uh, referee would VHS tape the the, the the whole shows for him. You know, so he'd come back with two or three, four tapes. And uh, and that, you know, I'd watch his match, but then I'd watch the whole shows. And I, that's the first time I saw the Road Warriors come out to, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Iron Man, and come out and punching people, and I was like, "Wow, what the heck is this?" It was, it was. That's, I always loved wrestling, but seeing that really fell in love with wrestling. You know, oops, what happened? There? Oh, oh, no, it's okay. Just my my light came off, but uh, you know, I was really fell in love with wrestling. And then the first time I went to Japan was for New Japan. I looked at my dad, and he goes. Um, I go, hey, dad. I call him up and say, hey, I've got to, you know, it's my first year in, the, in pro wrestling. And they say, uh, you know, I'm going to Japan. You know, got any advice for me? And my dad looks at me and goes, now, can I cuss in here? Yeah, of course. <laughs> he yeah. goes, uh, he goes. Toxic masculinity. Come on, dad. There you go. He goes, you need to beat the fuck out of him. And I said, like, like, what do you mean? You know, like pro wrestling style. And he's like, no, beat the fuck out of him. And I was like, huh? And I got there. And the very first match the very first tie-up, I tied up. We went to the corner, and my hands dropped, and I got my eardrop, my eardrum broken from a slap. Boom! And I went, "Oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> that's what he meant." You know, big old slap across the face, eardrum broken, and I was like, "Okay, it's on. I, I, I get it now." Yeah, I um, I busted Josh Burnett's ear in our, in a match we had over there. I just saw him. I was at. I did his blood sport and. Uh, presented a, a a lifetime achievement award to eric paulson uh, and uh yeah josh just just a boy of mine he's a good right, eric, eric's still alive yeah he's still there man that's good well what was it like to work with your dad in wwe you know what that was that was a dream a dream come true uh and then it was a nightmare come true as well <laughs> because my dad is you know if you know my dad and and he was he was awesome, but he was, you know, he's from that old school where wrestling was the Wild West and they just didn't put up with anything. And he was he was just balls to the wall at all times, you know. So they brought him in as my manager and uh, man, he just uh, he, he became the, the old Chavo really fast and was was uh, man, he was hard to handle. But it was it was it was great to get to learn from him, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. He's also your worst, your worst critic too. You know, no, oh, is, this, is that is that because he held you at a higher standard because you're his son? Uh, well, absolutely. They would always be like, "Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, if my match would be good, say I wrestled, you know, Ray Mysterio or Chris Benoit, and he'd be like, hey, that was good, but uh, you know, about two minutes in, that that one punch sucked.' And I'm like, <laughs> you got it. I'll fix that." You know, so or hey, you know what? This didn't, you know, your timing took a, was a little off on this one, or you know, it was, a, and it's he's always wanting the best for you. You know, he's holding you to a higher standard because I was a Guerrero, I was you know, born yes. in the so we have to be at a higher standard. But I learned a lot from him as far as learning what to do, learning what not to do, but also learning how to just just um, deliver excellence. Yeah, mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of people get that. So I said, you know, be that your third generation. I just kind of figured that you got all the elders there that are going to be looking, actually looking at you, holding you to a higher standard. But at the same token, you, on the flip side, being brought up in the industry, you're holding yourself at a higher standard there as well. And that's where a lot of people don't understand that. Oh, for sure. And then you come in to pro wrestling and people would ask me, hey, was it, did you have advantages coming in as, you know, as, as a Guerrero? And I'm like, well, sure. I got a lot of doors open for me coming in as a Guerrero, but once you come in, you're young in the business, you know, they're expecting you to be as good as Eddie, as good as my dad, as good as my grandfather. And it's, it's almost, it's impossible. And not until you can keep going and keep going, keep going until you find your niche, you know, as you know, pro wrestling takes, it's an art form. It takes years to learn, years, years, years to learn. And when I talk to young, young wrestlers, I tell them, I go, guys, I, I grew up in this business with a wrestling ring in my backyard. Like I say, wrestling's fed our family for 85 years. And it took me five years at the highest level, five years, close to 300 matches a year. So you're looking close to 300, 1500 matches before I kind of figured out what was going on. 
like five, that's how much it, it was. And then another five years, you're looking close to 3,000 matches at the highest levels, working, you know, 200 plus days a year that finally I had guys like Ric Flair or still Steve Austin going, hey, Chavo, great match, great job. That's that's how hard this business is. Yeah, yeah. You didn't get a compliment from, yeah, the likes of those uh, that's, uh, that speaks very highly of what, what, uh, what you've accomplished in the sport. I know that uh, when I travel uh, a lot now, I always have uh, a UFC belt right alongside the NWA belt. Love uh, people, when, when, they, when they ask, or like, well, it says NWA wrestling, what kind of wrestling? I go, I go like what you see on television, stuff like that. Then they, they all say, they, they'll say, you mean the, the, the fake stuff? I go, oh, don't, don't ever say that. I go, there, there might be a predetermined outcome, but professional wrestlers are some of the most incredible athletes doing some of the most incredible athletic maneuvers without the aid of a safety net. I mean, the fact that they're filling a certain block of time and there's got to be a certain type of outcome. These weekly shows are leading up to these monthly pay-per-views and at that monthly pay-per-view, if you get hurt, the show goes on. That right. pay-per-view is still going to go on. May not have you involved. There might be a new twist how they how they, how they have to bring in a, a new wrestler to replace you. But the show goes on with or without you. Uh, and as I stated earlier, I've been hurt far worse in my professional career than anything else. Again, with that redundancy of, of match after match after match, and then being with people that. Their skills are not as honed, and they're they're screwing up. And if they when they get screwed up, it's not them who gets hurt; you get hurt. So well, that's one thing that in pro wrestling I would say, like, hey guys, fake is the wrong word. That's it's predetermined, or or okay, I get it, but fake is the wrong word. I go when you watch a, a television show or a movie and you see right. a car crash. Well, they rehearsed that for a yes. whole week, but it's still a car crash. Yes, and we do. We, you know, we don't rehearse. We just kind of get. And kind of figure out an outline and go out there and do it and so it's st i'm still falling i don't care how predetermined it is i'm falling eight feet to the ground or through a table or getting hit with a chair it's it's i can't defy gravity so yeah. that's just the wrong word entertainment a hundred percent and that's what I, I also i tell people is like oh, we're the only ones that really admit that we're entertainment but once you collect one dollar for a sport it's no longer a sport it's a entertainment now and, you know, it's not it's not a sport anymore because you're talking about ratings. You get talking about people having to watch and, and uh, look at pe people like uh, like the WNBA, the WNBA. All those women can 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 beat me on a basketball court, hands down any any time they want. But because they don't have a huge, massive fan base, those on the offseason, those girls, they're going to Europe to go play. They're having right. to go and go find another income. And yes. then you have guys in, let's say UFC, you have guys like, like Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor. Great. He's, we've proven it now. He's not the best fighter, but he's making the most money because people are paying to see him. They keep paying to see him entertain. Yes. That, that's one thing that if you ever go back, he, that, that's one of the perfect examples. When Conor McGregor first came on the scene, he was just so, he was so thankful just to be in the UFC he was so thankful just to have won. He was thankful to be off Ireland's version of welfare because that's where he was on. But right. when he when, when he started to realize things that he said, he started to see the reaction he got from the crowd. So literally, I I still say that it, for a lot of these fighters, if you taught them how to work this crowd, and that's what that's what what I told. Her. My first profession was professional wrestling as of the 90, 1992 Olympics. And right. then as of 1992 Olympics, a new ruling came down that allowed athletes to be amateur professional simultaneously. So that's when I crossed the, the, uh, the line and I became a professional wrestler. By 1994, Ultimate Fighting Championships came along. So a lot of people always thought thought I was a USC fighter first and then I was a sellout. And then I jumped into the wacky world of professionals. I go, no, I said, professional wrestling people ought to be mad that I was a sellout when it came to be a cage fighter. But they're like, oh, Ken but Shamrock that's okay. Thing, right? Ken Shamrock was a pro wrestler before he was in the UFC. Yes. yes. But that's where going those guys, yeah. Yeah, but that, like what you said before, but, but by seeing these crossover athletes, seeing people that were in the ultimate fighting championships, and then they're going to professional wrestling, or if they were professional wrestling, then going over there, there's a crossover. Well, get look at the most recent merger just right. this past week. I mean, yeah. that says it all. You got WWF. I mean, excuse me, WWE and the UFC 
together now underneath the same umbrella. And in James- I, and I call I call it the Muhammad Ali syndrome with uh, uh, Conor McGregor. Muhammad Ali, and a lot of people don't know this. You guys might know this because you're students of the game. But Muhammad Ali, George, when he, he was he was back when he was Cassius Clay, he was a fighter, and he did a, a radio interview, and he was going, oh well, I'm I'm going to fight and try my best out there and really you know try to 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 win today. And then right after he got off the the air, Gorgeous George came on. And Gorgeous George was talking about, I'm going to tie this guy in nuts. And I'm going to, and he was really hyping his match. And the people that were, there was, you know, half full to see the boxing match and sold out to see the wrestling matches. And that's when, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali learned, huh? Well, if you can lure him in with this and you got the skills, they want to pay to see see you get beat. But you don't keep you don't get beat, so they keep paying to see you. A la Floyd Mayweather. I can't stand that guy. I can't I want him to get knocked out, but he's so good at just talking, 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 and just not getting hit and just keeps winning. Keeps taking my money. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if you buy a seat to watch me win or you buy a seat to watch me lose, just buy a just seat. Buy a seat. Exactly. Yeah. Sales. We'll get a lot of a lot of professional wrestlers, they make great. Movie actors as well. I mean, you see how how yeah. well The Rock has done. You see how well that the Undertaker has been in different movies. You've got uh, Tina Batista. They're all there. Yes, yes. So again, it, it's a, it's an easy trans uh, transformation. I mean, in, in, your, in your own career, have you been both both uh, the the heel and the baby face in your own career? That's oh, absolutely. I we've learned as and I, when I teach younger, you know, to seminar or whatever, and talking to younger wrestlers, I tell them. Learn to do everything. Learn to be a heel. Learn to be a baby face. Learn to wrestle singles. Learn to wrestle a tag team. Learn to be a manager. Learn Japanese style. Learn American style. Learn European style. Because once you learn all that, you all always have a job. You can pivot and work anywhere. And for me, person, we're just Guerreros. We're we're natural heels. I mean, I I much rather would have ten thousand people yelling "Chavo sucks." Then going, hey, hey, Chavo, because I just can't, I can really get them going. Cause they're always, when you're, let's say you're, let's say you're wrestling in front of 10,000 people or 5,000 people, whatever it is. And, you know, you're a baby face, you're a good guy. And the people are chatting, Chavo, Chavo. Well, there's always those people that hate, that hate the baby face and they're yelling, Chavo, you suck, you suck. Well, you, not much you can do about it because you're the good guy. You're supposed to like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a heel, everybody's chanting Chavo sucks except for four or five guys that like the heels. And they're like, yeah, Chavo, you're doing great. And I, say, and I just look at them and say, I know I'm good. I don't need your help. And they're like, but, but we're cheering for you. I said, I don't need your help. That's how good I am. Tell your mom, I want my underwear back. You know, I would tell something like that. And then I get everybody. To hit. It's so easy. It's so easy. Yeah. 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 No, the, the, that any heel I've ever talked to, they like be the heel. I mean, even if you finally break character, and you start laughing and stuff like this, yeah. then you can simply go with that. <laughs> I'm not laughing with you, folks. I'm laughing at you, folks. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. Yeah. That's, I don't know if you know this about me. When I, when I actually first was, was doing the business, I would wrestle as two characters. I wrestled Dan, as Dan Severn later on the card, but I had a mass character. No, so you didn't. I, really? I, I, had a, I had a hood on. Yeah. I had the whole bodysuit, so he didn't. You know, the look at I went well over three hundred. I, I would go out there as a character known as Tubby Tanaka, <laughs> and I mean, I always tell that Tubby Tanaka never won a single match, and the crowd, crowd absolutely hated me because I did everything that the heel is supposed to do in the matches. And uh, the, now, the, the, my, my question is, did you get paid twice? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, Mr. Fry. Mr. Fry, will you answer that question for me? Knowing Mr. Severn, he's got paid three times. <laughs> See now, that's being pretty good. If I get paid three times now, right? Now, after, after the show's over, he's in the bleacher stands looking for quarters and dimes. <laughs> Picking up those empty pop bottles, yeah. turning into the deposits. Yeah. I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it was uh it was a lot of fun. Because I even even in the beginning I kayfabe even the wrestlers, so. Where are you guys at now? Where are y'all living right now? Don, go ahead. I live in Tucson. Still in Tucson. Still in Tucson. Yeah. How's your how's your uh, how's your back? You did all the stem cell stuff, right? 
Man, it's amazing, man. Really? You Good get for a you. chance to do that bio. Um, yeah, the bio. bio accelerator, bio accelerator. Yeah. In, uh, Columbia, and they have, you know, uh, they get the one in Boston, Dallas, Scottsdale. I mean, it's amazing. I feel so freaking great now. You know. Wow, that's something I definitely I I want to do. I'm, I'm pretty good. I, my body's pretty good. Just you know, just from years of banging, I got little things in my shoulders, little things in my lower back, little things in my knees. You know, so you always want to feel good. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the hard thing about it because it's it may just start off as a little bit of a nagging injury, but then it could morph into stuff a little bit more. So if you get the mm. get the uh, the jump on it soon, it'd be better. Yeah. Yeah, Actually, you don't want to underneath the knife, you know, that's what you want to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. Also, in uh, Mesa, Arizona, there is the I believe it's the only stem cell bank in the United States, is in located in Mesa, let's Arizona. Go rob it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go rob it. Exactly. I want them all for me. I want to feel amazing. <laughs> I'm just going to take a dip in them every morning. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but what, what they're trying to do, especially with, with professional athletes, is they want to take take you say take a shot shot at twenty years of age, yeah. Extract some stem cells from you now. Oh wow! Now later in life, when you hit that fifty, that sixty years of age, and now yeah. you start having a few things happen to you, what's going to be the better format for your body? Somebody else's stem cells or your own stem cells? That's so amazing. now you got twenty year old uh, Guerrero stem yeah. cells that are going right back into a, a fifty year old. Travel. That's that's the magic that they're working on right now. I wish I would have had him taken out when I was like five years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. I, I saw a guy with a shirt the other day and he said, my my fondest childhood memory is when my back didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a great shirt. That's a great shirt. Well, you, you, most wrestlers can, can relate to those kind of things. Right yeah, because most of the time you got some kind of little something that usually hurts most of the time. That's uh, I'd be broken. Doesn't take care of. So <laughs> true. Correct. Correct. Well, I mean, where did you just come back from, and what what is your next uh, trip off to? You know, so I I kind of transitioned a lot out of out of pro wrestling, and now any any wrestling you see on TV on TV shows and movies that I'm coordinating all of those. So I did all of the Netflix show glow. I coordinated all the seasons in that I've done all the seasons of uh, young rock Dwayne Johnson show on NBC. Uh, we're finding out we're going out for a fourth season. Uh, I just finished a big movie. Uh, it's called iron claw. And it's the story of the Von Eric family. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's an a 24 movie, a 24. If you guys know, just, Swept the Oscars with uh, best picture, best director, best actress, best actor. So um, it's wow. movies, yeah. So we have huge actors in it. We have uh, Zac Efron's playing Kevin Von Eric. You know, so uh, Jeremy. And, and there's some, just just take a moment to just explain to some of the audience here because some of them we get we get a wide variety of people that watch either MMA professionally, but then we have a lot of people that they just like to watch two cranky old white guys that still right. woke up this morning they identify as being white guys so <laughs> some people don't know that aren't from the professionals were give them a little bit synopsis of the von eric family because that that's a, such a uh a historic story with them so the von eric family in, in texas there was there was a there was about three big families three or four big families von eric's were one of the girls were one of them in one side of texas uh, the Von Erichs were another one. They were in Dallas. The Blanchards were another one. They were in San Antonio. So, um, but the Von Erichs had, gosh, the Von Erich family, they had the Dallas territory. And if anybody knows pro wrestling back in the day, there was so there was probably like 30 or 40 different territories throughout the United States. Um, and they, you know, they're, they stayed in their territory, which was, you know, say Dallas and surrounding other areas. Texas is so big, they had many, many of them there, but they had the yeah. Houston territory, which is Paul Bosch. They had San Antonio, that was the Blanchers. So, um, and surrounding little areas there, and they and they would wrestle, you know, six, seven days a week, and all those little surrounding areas. Well, the Von Erichs were in Dallas, and they had such a big promotion called W World, Cla uh, World Class Championship Wrestling, WCCW. Uh, and those those kids, the the, the Von Erich boys, the father of Fritz von Erichs, was uh, was the, the patriarch of the family. But uh, the kids, man, they were like rock stars in in um, in the Dallas area. People because they were all six foot 
two, three, four chiseled, great looking guys. Yeah, we're we're great for the community, really love the fans and really gave back. And those they were so loved um, that just people remember them so much. Anyways, they had a lot of tragedy. Many of them died, some suicide, some unexplained deaths, some some strange things. Uh, so we created a movie about that, trying not to harp on just the negativity, but, you know, just, um, just the whole family aspect of the whole thing. And I think we, we achieved that and that's coming out the end of this year. And I, I expect that to be a really big movie. So what's it called? It's called Iron Claw. The Iron Claw because that earlier, that, didn't <laughs> yeah, that, that was their, their yeah, finish, was the finish. claw. The Iron Claw was to the head, you know, the pro wrestling <laughs> claw. The MMA claw to the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they took that away from us, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's – I've really transitioned out of pro wrestling. Now you're always involved in pro, pro wrestling. You never actually leave it. But um, I'm really doing all that. So kind of in Hollywood, people are calling me the the, the go-to wrestling guy. So. Well, how, how is <laughs> No, no. So, go uh, go ahead, Dad. What's it what's, what's like working on, on the show, Young Rock? You know, Young Rock's great. Um, it's MB- it's on NBC. It's a great show. Um, it's Dwayne Johnson's show. And he's got puts a lot of trust in me with all the wrestling sequences and anything. Uh, kind of a lot of a lot to do with any wrestling terminology and that kind of stuff. They kind of come to me on that. Um, one of the main executive producers on that is uh, Brian Gewertz, who was uh, WWE head writer for years and is now Dwayne Johnson's main guy. So between him, he and I, we kind of figure out what the, the whole wrestling part of, of it is. And uh, even though it's not just about wrestling, it's kind of about the life of, of uh, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, but, you know, he grew up with third generation as well. So right. third generation pro wrestler, you know, so it kind of, it, it, it plays back to his times in wrestling a lot of times you know so that's that's great man it's a, it's a great environment to be around and uh they're it's it's fun it's fun well, it's gotta be out, it, it actually has to be rather easy for you there too because you think about it, it's like it's talked about uh, the the lineage of a professional wrestler and i mean you've you've lived it firsthand so some of the ideas that are being pitched you can easily say well we need to feed a little bit more into this backstory maybe a little bit more to that backstory to give give people a little bit different insight as to there's 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 a camera angle to things but then there's maybe that heartfelt story that companies to come across right right so thank god we have great writers that kind of write most of this stuff and and they really you know they're so good uh with really what i do is I'm behind the camera with the director and, you know, not only do I train the actors, put together the choreography, but we're be- I'm working directly with the directors, directly with the DPs, the director of photographies, and really getting those shots, you know, learning ca- cameras and lighting and uh, kind of all of that stuff. And really just, uh, you know, like I said, behind the, behind that camera with the director and just, you know, kind of in a sense, helping direct the, the wrestling scenes. Hmm. That's great. I love that. And I'm using what I love about it is that I'm using this instead of using this. You're, you're, you're back. You're not using your back at, you know, for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Even though you're still in the ring training a lot of times and showing the guys what to do and having to fall through. I remember one of the rest, one of the actors, we had to put them through a, a table. Now, of course, they kind of scored the table a little bit so it would break a little easier. But, uh, you know, I say, hey, make, make two because I'm, I'm going to have him put me through it first just so he feels. I, I can show him. So, of course, put me through the table. I'm like, all right, see how you did it? And he's like, oh, yeah, I get it. So there you go. So I'm still kind of doing that just a little bit. But at the same time, it's like kind of like stuntman stuff, but uh, just really behind the camera and uh, going from concept. I love going from a concept on a page, putting together and seeing it on on, on uh, the screen. Yeah, oh, but, yeah uh, just the uh Dwayne Johnson hire you because he respects your your skill and your knowledge, or because he's afraid that uh, you might go off and make a Los Guerreros show. He's afraid. afraid well, of- probably a little both. He's probably he's definitely afraid of me. No, <laughs> you know what? Really, <laughs> when uh, you know what happened is that I was already kind of breaking into this this world with uh, the Netflix show Glow, and uh, you know uh, I got a call from from their production company and was like, Hey, Dwayne really wants you to be, uh, that the coordinator. And I was like, okay, great. Uh, what, what do we do this? I said, well, during COVID everything was shut down in Hollywood. So 
we found a place in Australia and we went for three months in Australia in the Brisbane and we filmed that the first season. The second season went to Australia again and filmed for five months in the Gold Coast. So uh, uh, it was I was in Australia for about eight months out of two years. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that was that's a nice country to be in though too. I mean, it's, it's been, it been there a number of times. A great country. Yeah, it was a great country. The quarantine wasn't easy. That was sucked, but hey, but that yeah. got to do. Yeah, they kind of they kind of went overboard in that freaking tent place. Yeah, like, you think you think? I, I would say that COVID just made everybody just more stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I told I get it. I was I get it. There was a something out there that nobody knew what it was, and I, I boogeyman disease, you know. Right, right. I totally get it. And, but at the same time, it just made, God, man, it just made, not to get too political, it just made both sides more stupid. <laughs> was, well, yeah, that, I, well, again, you, you said it the way I, I, would, I said it. In the last couple of years, it wasn't COVID. It was stupidity on the rise. That was the biggest pandemic that we're having. And, and I hate to say it, it still is lingering and carrying over, even now. It is, and it is a little bit. It is, and, you know, look, I had some... I had a neighbor, I had a neighbor die from it. I had a, two or three other people that I knew that died from it. So yeah. I get it. I, I, I totally get it, you know, and I, and, but you know, once the vaccine came around and people started doing that and whatever your feels and thoughts on that, I was like, okay, we kind of got under control. We figured out it's not what we everybody thought it was. Okay. Let's go back to work. And uh, you know, there's still some times that I'm on set and there's, there's a mask. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, whatever. The mask. Yeah. I saw that today. I was right. Yeah. I don't say, don't you know this bullshit's over? You know, I, I love the ones when I see sometimes people driving, in yeah, the car by themselves, and they got a mask on them, like, or there's one with a mask and one without. You know, yeah, so I'm like, did, did you steal this car? <laughs> what? What do you? Why do you have a mask on by yourself? Yeah, well, Ch Chavo, I, first time I walked into the bank and I had a mask on. I again, I, I knew it's the same bank that I go to all the time. I'm walking up there to tell her, I go, when did you? When did you think it was going to be all right? For a mass man to come into your bank and they start to die laughing because they you know what before I, I you, put, you couldn't wear a mask going into a, into a, a bank they'd arrest you then they'd arrest you for not wearing a mask yeah, you know, yeah. No, again, you know. It, but but you see the signs in there now you go you go to that bank now must remove mask it's, it's crazy kind of like going, oh, oh really now I got to remove a mask yeah exactly right yeah then I, then I do that I start going like People are, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, we can play that game here too. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> any, any kind of like a social media, or uh, if people want to try to find you or follow you, what, uh, what, what, uh, what? Some of your social media there, there, Chad. Yeah, definitely, uh, everybody can find me. Uh, my Instagram is basically what I do. I kind of everything. Uh, my Instagram's Chavagro at Chavagro Junior. Uh, my my Twitter, of course, for anything for news is uh, at Mex Warrior, like Mexican Warrior, the Mex Warrior. Uh, so basically, those are my big two that I, I basically use. I'm not doing TikTok or Snapchat or anything like that. I'm not making you know TikTok videos. <laughs> you, you, you're not twerking for 15 seconds there, so that all the fans can follow you. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well. Yeah, I hear there's good money in that. So you know, <laughs> well, so, oh God, those guys are making huge money. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to monetize that. If I did, I'd be on it all the time. But yeah, some people are on you know the show Twitch and they're playing video games against people making hundreds of thousand dollars a, a, a you know a month. And I'm I'm like, how does that happen? If wow. I if I figured it out, I would have done it. But I think I'm a little late to the game. <laughs> what was your what was your favorite gimmick in, in where you were wrestling in your career? My, mine, well, mine personally was when me and Eddie were doing Los Guerreros, the uh, kind of the light cheat steel gimmick. That was my favorite. But, you know, I get a lot of people talking about the stuff that I used to do in WCW where, you know, sometimes the hokiest stuff for the ones that remembered the most, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a time when, in WCW where I had to, I was wrestling my uncle Eddie, where had a big feud and he was trying to get me to turn heel and, uh, I was kind of going a little crazy, so I started ride, riding a stick horse out, and and it started, <laughs> it started out as a joke, and it got it caught on, and before you know it, I was stuck wearing riding the stick horse. Out. <laughs> People still to this day will ask me because we had a name. His name was Pepe. They still hey, where's Pepe? Where's Pepe? You know, so, and it's like, uh, uh, yeah, dead dummy, <laughs> turn yeah, into the fireplace. Exactly, exactly. You remember that. 
but there's um, the the Major Brothers. The Major Brothers they wrestled in um, WWE. Now uh, they're under under, the, under their real names, Matt Cardona and um, uh, what's uh, Brian Myers. But uh, Matt Cardona they they created their own um, action figure line because action figures are so big right now. So they call them the Major Bendies. And they're kind of the, the old bendy style, and they just created Stretch one. Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. Remember the Stretch Armstrong? But yeah. something like smaller, but they used to bend. You know, you can make them different, different. You know, their arms go different ways and stuff. But they just made one of me, and it's literally me and Pepe. It's <laughs> the horse. and they're and they're selling out already. They're already like people are snatching them up. So. They remember the, the weirdest thing sometimes, but thank God. <laughs> I remember the first time I came home from Japan with my first action figure. Uh, my oldest daughter, Katie, who was just, you know, one year old, uh, right. sitting in her high chair in the kitchen eating. And I go, look, baby. And she looks at throws it over her shoulder. <laughs> <Break this>? it. <laughs> well, my kids, because my, when I, you know, we first started getting action figures and stuff with WWE and stuff, or be on video games, when they were younger, now they're men, you know, they're 23 and 20, but when they were younger, they thought all their dad's friends had action figures or, right. you know, so they'd be playing the video game with some of their friends at, you know, eight years old and say, Hey, which one's your dad? <laughs> and the friends would be going, what are you talking? My dad's not on here. What do you mean? <laughs> Aren't all dads on here? Yeah. yeah. They, they thought, they also thought that I worked at the airport. <laughs> brought me off at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> picked me up at the airport. So anytime they'd ask, they'd say, Oh, look, daddy's work. <laughs> true story true story yeah. oh I, I believe it there yeah. the life of the restaurant on the road go 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 exactly exactly one time i was coming back you guys you guys you know chuck zito right you guys know chuck yeah 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 so uh i'm coming back and my wife's picking me up at um john wayne airport small airport so she had to circle around a couple of times my flight was a little delayed well chuck's sitting there and you know if you go oh, chuck chuck kind of always wears his kind of our muscle tank top. He's a big guy. So she goes, my wife's passing by and she looks and she goes, she goes look at this meathead. And she goes, wait a minute. I bet you my meathead knows that meathead. <laughs> As I walk through, I'm like, Chuck, he's like, Poppy, what's up? We gave each other a big hug. And my wife was pulling up right at the same time. She goes, I knew it. I knew it. Well, a lot of people, they just run in the same circles. I mean, Chuck's been to event uh, back in the Atlantic, New Jersey, called the uh, Action Martial Arts. It's a, it's a huge right. event that uh, right. on an annual basis, that's where I met Jack, Chuck there yeah. numerous times. So, yeah, what a, what a, yeah. e easy going, easy going. Yeah. I mean, it's, always play sinister type roles, but, uh, you know, easy going yeah. guy, though. You know, yeah. He's like you guys. Don't Great guy, just don't get him mad, right? <laughs> Big car collection, too. What's that? Great car collection. Oh, that's right. He does have a good car. That's right. His cars. He's got uh, that um, from the east, which is the big uh, fifty-seven. That's pretty cool. Daytona's. He's got so he's got a lot of cars. That's right. Yeah. I have that. That is like my car collection. <laughs> Fudge. <laughs> yeah, Dan. Yeah. I think he spends more on a tire than you do in a whole field. <laughs> yeah, you, you see a pattern here right now in the shop. Without Dan's you. living proof. Right, right. You know? One saves his money and one doesn't. I get it. No, Dan, Dan's living proof that bailing wire and uh, duct tape will keep anything going forever. <laughs> I always tell you know, all the you know, young rushers, well, guys, it's not how much you make, it's how much you save. And uh, I kind of keep telling those guys. So, I get, uh, you know, besides your, your normal everyday drivers, I got, uh, my wife let me get a, I have a 1963 SS Impala convertible chair frame off restoration. It's awesome. It lowered? Uh, you know what? If for, I, I had it lowered like first, you know, kind of being true to the, to the Hispanic Mexican style, but they kind of write, they write like shit. So I put, I switched it up, put racing springs on there. I have like the bigger wheels on there. Just now it's, now it's a, daily driver and it's it turns heads everywhere i go but uh what's cool about that is that every year that goes up in value so i'm like i, I, right, I get right. yes well, convertible you buy a convertible it always appreciates you know that thing goes up value everything year. else yeah uh, yeah you know that one of that thing's so cool I'll, I'll go to uh here in in you know uh california i live in southern california so there'll be places down by the beach like javier's or las brisas and 
you know, a valet park it. Well, there'll be a Rolls there. There'll be a, you know, a, 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 a Porsche, a Ferrari. Well, we'll valet park that. And everybody freaks out. Everybody's like, yeah. oh, 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 my God. And I'm like. It gets extra care. Yeah. It's like, it like a spaceship. It's like, what the heck? What is this thing? And then, you know, the 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 young guys like it because of the pop culture, you know, because of Snoop Dogg and all that kind of stuff. But all the older guys like it, too, because they're like, hey. I lost my 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 virginity in '64, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Dude, it's, it's, I'm still in there. You'll get it out. You smell smelling right now. <laughs> what are you popping uh, out there, Don? What you, what kind of scar you got over there? Oh uh, shit! Uh, it's a Rocky Patel. Rocky Patel. Patel. Okay. It's making me crave one right now. I have my own cigar line coming out, guys. Uh, pretty soon, pretty soon with um, um, Stogie Bird, uh, Stogie Bird Cigar Company, who also makes uh, Stogie Bird. Stogie Bird, yeah. Stogie Bird also makes uh, Cody Rhodes' cigar. It's called American Rebel. Well, they're friends of mine. Okay. And kind of is yours going to be uh, actual tobacco, or is it going to be uh, the Mexican tobacco? Uh -huh. Well, it's going to be definitely, definitely tobacco. Everything's like a blend now, man. Everything they kind of do is like a blend. So, uh, you know, very few, unless you're getting one straight from from Havana, you know, they're really they're even like the David Offs and all that stuff. It's kind of they're blending a lot of stuff, you know, Nicaragua stuff and different things. So, right. I just care as long as it's a nice, good, smooth smoke. Good with that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? So okay, when 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 would you uh, indulge yourself into a, a, a fine cigar like that? What 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 is your occasion? Uh, you know what what I love about cigar is that you have <laughs> waking up waking up in the morning. Yeah. Really, yeah. really, what I love about cigar is that there's it's, you smoke a cigar when you have nothing but time. You're not gonna you know like like you know I'm not a, a cigarette smoker or anything like that to where you know you guys go out there take two or three puffs throw it out and take off. I'm going out by the fireplace in the backyard, putting it up. I got to have at least an hour of just relaxing and just chilling out with, with, with the guys, you know, and uh, that's, that's what I love about cigar all the time. So I don't smoke them all the time, you know, maybe once a month, once a couple more, it just depends what I'm doing. You know, sometimes there's two or three times a week, but for the most part, it's, it's like once a month, if I, when I actually have time to, enjoy it yeah to yes. yeah you know for sure for wait sure. wait 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 how do you jump from once a month to two or three times a week well it depends quite, what i'm that's doing quite a jump that's quite am, a I hanging, am i hanging with the guys am i doing two or three times a week or am i traveling on the road am i you know am i not am i working am i on set you know where i just don't have time to sit there and just unwind so really that just kind of that's how it is you know it's kind of i would love to do it two or three times a week i just does I don't get that time all the time, you know. <laughs> so are, are you jumped that are you right back then on set then uh, this this coming week? Continuation uh, I of think uh, it's next week I'm back on set and I'm not on one of the big shows that I'm doing, but uh like I said, I've kind of you know uh, when Gene LaBelle Gene LaBelle was the was the pro wrestling guy in, in Hollywood for years. Yeah. I've known Gene since I was five years old and, and kind of, you know, my great guy, this yeah, great guy. Great. I love Gene. Judo Gene LaBelle, the toughest guys in the world, right? First MMA fight, all the, the whole thing. But um, when he was getting older, before he passed, uh, he started passing on all of the wrestling stuff to me. He said, hey, you know, call Chavo Jr. He's the, he's the man now. He's the man. So he started passing that on to me. So um kind of you know he was a big stunt man for years and years and kind of you know any wrestling any anything in martial arts film you know he's kind of was involved yeah he had a big heart big heart but big terrible heart. jokes terrible jokes absolutely but a hundred percent but but I, I just laughed at him because i didn't want to get choked out but, <laughs> but, but he uh uh he started passing that stuff on to me so i think next week i'm doing a, a show next week week after uh it's uh an Apple TV show called Loot uh, with uh, Maya Rudolph. She was uh, a Saturday Night Live uh, original person, and she's kind of a big actress now. So uh, I'm doing um, – There's they have an, a wrestling episode, so they're bringing me on to work on that for a few days. So I think that's my next thing. Nice. Cool. cool. Until then, I will, uh, I will be hanging out trying to get a cigar in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I was doing today? You guys would like that. Today I was uh, – my brother-in-law uh, – He's selling his house, so uh, he had a 
a cool little chopper, you know, that was in his garage and hadn't run it for a while. So he and I just wrenched on it all more all afternoon. We got it running, got it going. So uh, that was uh, that was kind of some mass, some toxic masculinity that I was trying to get out today. I smell yeah. like I've been nice. <laughs> I've enjoyed the conversation. I've never really had a chance to, to meet your travel, but I've, I've met a number of the other of your family members. Uh, along the way so you know what we did one time we met one time and i was doing an autograph signing in el paso texas and you were doing an autograph signing in el paso texas and you came by my my uh you guys you got done early you came by my uh session and said and just to come say hello to me and i was like i always thought hey that was really cool well, I, I always i always went on my way to go and, and see people that i never met before because it's yeah. just I, I know how the industries are. There's kind of like standoffish. And I go, I always want people to know that I'm not that way. I, I want people to know that, hey, I'm there. I'm friendly. I just right. don't, don't would ever over, overstep my boundaries. Thanks. I was I was in WCW. And I believe you were in WWF at the time. And uh, you came over, you know, and we weren't even in the same venue. You you made the trip. You did the car and drove over to say hello. And I was I always memorized like, hey, that was really cool. You know, you got a guy that was uh, that's a, a killer that decided to come over and just say hello. And that always, I was like, man, this guy's, this guy's a good guy. So when I got this up, the opportunity to do this today, I was like a hundred percent. I'm on. Chavo, you've never seen me at the local buffet yet though. Okay. That's a, that, that's, that's a whole different animal there now. Now Don has, and he knows that I'd probably trip, trip my grandmother on the way to that one now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The golden crowd. We used to go to the golden crowd back in the day when we had no money and we would, eat breakfast there and kind of sit around for a couple hours and eat some, drink some coffee. And then we're, well, it's lunchtime now. <laughs> We'd eat lunch too. <laughs> We'd get two for one, you know? <laughs> wow. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm right down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Coffee for about two, three hours to get hungry again and go eat again. <laughs> what time do you go? <laughs> yeah. Right. What better to be. Thank you guys. I really appreciate this, man. It's been really, really cool. Uh, I appreciate it. If you look at the background there, that's called that. That was an old uh, uh, marquee sign. This is a screenshot, but a marquee sign from the Olympic Auditorium, and that was a famous picture that used to be in. Um, it was a TV show that was based in LA in the late seventies. That the start of the show would kind of drive uh, drive by and shots of all over LA. Well, they took a picture of the old Olympic Auditorium, and if you see it, it was it's oh yeah, over loser leave town leave town yeah 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 yep, yep. you or your dad my dad oh my dad it was roddy it was probably 1978 you know so my my dad and roddy had a big uh feud in la for a long time so uh that was a kind of kind of cool little thing there yeah yeah what are you working on now uh right now man i'm just kind of in between like i said just kind of just uh kind of relaxing i got um i have uh i have a lot of irons in the fire at all times so I have uh, my own beer out as well, and my own beer, not to plug it, but it's called Los Guerreros Mex. Let me see if I can just, uh, hold on, let me see if I can see this. Okay, Los Guerreros yeah. Mex Lager, and it's uh, from a Lost Brewing Company here in, in uh, Southern California. So uh, t it's it's a craft brew, so it's not brewed you know, in huge amounts, just they, they brew enough to really kind of get everybody wanting it, and then runs out and they brew it again. But um it's the best Mexican lager you guys have ever tasted. I, I stand by that 100%. So when I'm not doing stuff, I kind of am pushing this thing here in Southern California. Is it dark lager? No, it's a Mexican lager. So it's kind of, um, it's, uh, it's kind of like a Modelo, kind of like a, uh, a Dos Equis, but those are so mass produced that, you know, they're, they kind of get a little run down. This is in the same genre, but just, just much, much, much better. Just made with the best ingredients and the, uh, Really, really good, you know. So that's kind of, kind of doing that while I'm not filming. Are you still working matches? Uh, I, I will. Yeah, here and there I do. You know, I kind of, uh, I pick and choose now. I really do pick and choose, and I'm, and when I'm coming in there wrestling a match, it's not really like I'm doing a big WrestleMania match anymore. I'm kind of, I know how to do it without bumping too much anymore. And I'm like, hey guys, they want to see three suplexes, and they want to see the big super, uh, frog splash at the end, and. So I'll work around all that. I'll sell them there for you guys. I'll make your 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 heel, your baby face look really good. And then I'll splash them at the end and put the promotion over. And they're like, all right, let's do it. Yep. Any any of your younger Guerreros 
getting into business? You know what? At, my my kids, I didn't push wrestling on them. Like my family didn't push on me, but it was part of our everyday lives all the times because you know we all worked a promotion. You know we you know sold programs. We you know it was just always there. Uh, with them, I didn't push it on them a lot. They liked wrestling and they watched it, but you know, I, I told them guys, go to school, use your brains, go, go. You know, I got, I got lucky. I got lucky. There's so many second and third generation pro wrestlers out there that just, you know, are out of work. And you know, and it's like if you got, you guys know, it's a great profession for a young single guy to make some money and travel the world. But you can get married, you have kids, and you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible profession for that. So I just didn't want them going through that route, you know, and. I told them, guys, I got really, really lucky. And then I got really lucky in Hollywood as well. And I got lucky marrying your mom. So I go, you know, I, I, it's, uh, don't push your luck, guys. You're, it's probably not going to happen for you guys. So, look around now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was like, use your brains, guys. Use your brains. You know, so they're one's graduating college here in about a month. The other one's a junior, uh, going to be a junior in college. So, uh, they're doing good. All right. Guys. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, man. I really had a great time. Nice seeing you again. Absolutely, guys. It was another 20 years. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, man. I think uh, maybe one of our last autograph signings in San Diego, everybody was there or something like that. And appreciate uh, you guys. Thanks, All right, man. there. Well, that, that concludes another episode of uh, Toxic Masculinity. Hopefully, you've, we've entertained you folks a little bit. We definitely want to uh, thank our guests here tonight. The great Chavo Herrera Jr. Appreciate you being here tonight. Thank, Thank you, guys. Again, appreciate you, man. Much respect. Thanks, Chavo. Right. You, Take care. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.